Welcome to the Success Matters podcast series with Christopher Helmrath, where business leaders share how their organizations created successful strategies for long-term viability. Welcome to Success Matters, a podcast series featuring business leaders and their stories of managing organizations through change. My name is Chris Helmrath, and I'm a managing director of the SCNH Group, and I'm the host of this podcast. No single industry in the United States has experienced more change and disruption in the past six years than the healthcare industry. The passage of the Affordable Care Act in 2010, also known as Obamacare, was an attempt to make our national health care system more efficient and to increase the quality of patient care. All healthcare organizations were faced with a multitude of changes and challenges. Some have thrived, some have maintained, and some have failed. LifeBridge Health, headquartered in Baltimore, Maryland, is one of the largest and most profitable in the state, in addition to being the most comprehensive and most highly respected provider of healthcare-related services to the people in the Baltimore, Maryland region. LifeBridge Health consists of four hospitals, hundreds of primary care and specialty physicians throughout the region, and many affiliated health-related partners. LifeBridge is a strong advocate for preventive services, wellness, fitness services, and programs to educate and support the communities it serves. We are really fortunate today to have Neil Meltzer, President and CEO of LifeBridge Health with us. Good morning, Neil. Good morning, Chris. Thank you for having me. Let me give you a little background on Neil. He is just a tremendous leader. Neil began his relationship with LifeBridge at Sinai Hospital about 18 years ago and started as the Vice President of Operations and has now worked his way to running the entire system. The system as it sits today is the fourth largest health system in the state, and as I said earlier, with multiple hospitals, geriatric centers, and a continuum of care network that is outstanding. What I really think is great about Neil is not only is he leading this organization, but he's also helping to lead the community, where Neil was spotlighted on the national stage and served as the national chairman of the American Heart Association, as well as was appointed by the President of the United States as a member of the National Healthcare Workforce Commission. Neil, I think there's so much that we're going to be able to learn from you today, and I know our our listeners are going to love to hear about your perspectives on how the Affordable Care Act has affected healthcare and where we're going. With that, could you explain a little bit how the LifeBridge board and the senior management team prepared for the future after the passage of the Affordable Care Act in 2010? Sure, Chris. I think to start with, I should explain that my background is public health. I really did not come to health administration and leadership in a traditional path. And as a result, I tend to look at the world through a public health lens. When the Affordable Care Act was passed, uh, rather than collecting hospitals like many health systems did and stringing them together like beads on a chain, what we chose to do was really take a look at the continuum of care and begin to flesh out that continuum. What we recognized was that healthcare was going to need to remain local. In fact, uh, be provided really as close to where the patient resides as possible. As a result, we began to 
hire physicians uh, with a focus on primary care physicians, and we're probably up to somewhere around 550 employed physicians, approximately 25 to 30% of those being primary care physicians all across the state of Maryland at this point. We began by really laying out the continuum of care from ambulatory services, urgent care, transportation, acute care, post-acute care, and housing and assisted living, and began to do a gap analysis. And what we discovered is that although we were pretty good on ambulatory services, um, we didn't have anything in the area of urgent care or really much with post-acute care other than one long-term care facility that we owned. So we began to create partnerships. Uh, we do believe in the power of partnerships, and we do believe in working with best-of-breed organizations. Um, so we now provide services through partnerships in radiology, physical therapy, laboratory medicine, um, two surgery centers, one in Ellicott City now and one in Owings Mills. We're the 10th largest provider of urgent care in the country that's privately held uh, with a company called Express Care. We worked and created a transport service recognizing that we needed to move patients between sites of care uh, and partnered with an organization called Pulse Transport. Um, we are now providers of long-term care in five different facilities, and the area we're focused on right now is housing and assisted living. But it was uh, an effort really to make sure that we could provide the entire continuum under our roof because we knew that in order to be successful in this kind of a model, you needed really to control many aspects of, of uh, the care continuum. And, you know, Neil, I think for many people that listen and read and they hear these terms like acute care, ambulatory, et cetera, let's maybe back up just a second and talk a little bit about the patient and what that really means and maybe some scenarios of what the Affordable Care Act is requiring of not just the delivery of quality care, but the right place at the right time at the right cost and have it not always be in a hospital setting. Well, I think that's a that's a very good point, Chris. I think when we when we talk about ambulatory care, we really talk about providing the best value care to the patient. And the best value really means the highest quality, the lowest cost at the right setting. In order to do that, uh, I think historically most care has been provided at a hospital setting. And in the state of Maryland, hospitals are fairly expensive because it's a regulated industry. Hospitals are treated very much like a public utility where our rates are set by a rate-setting commission. When you provide care in the community, um, the rate-setting commission doesn't have authority over the pricing in those sites. And as a result, you can provide a, a, a lower-cost treatment. So, for example, um, there are patients that require cataract surgery or screening services for, uh, for gastroenterology, uh, colonoscopies and such. And it's much less expensive, it's much less disrupted, it's much more convenient for the patient to receive those kinds of services at a, an ambulatory surgery center, which is a freestanding facility located uh, usually in, in, in suburban areas. We happen to have two of those. I, I think something else which is important and part of the Affordable Care Act is really the focus on prevention and, and screening. And we've always done quite a bit of that. But what we're finding now is that uh, we're, we're needing to deal with many of the social determinants of health. If you take a look at healthcare generally, 
uh, only about 30% of healthcare is really uh, provided in a hospital setting. Much of it is is m- much of the impact on an individual's health is really based on where they live, how they live, how they function. A couple of examples. Um, our team began to take a look at how many patients were in the hospital or in the emergency department three or more times in a year. And we said, okay, of those patients, how many lived in the same community, in the same zip code, on the same street, had the same diagnosis, perhaps had the same physician, maybe even lived in the same apartment building, and began to look for trends. What we found with uh, a number of the urban patients was that uh, kids in particular who were asthmatic were bouncing back and forth to the emergency department many times each month. And again, in the state of Maryland, uh, there is an incentive to reduce readmissions. Uh, If a patient is readmitted to the hospital, either in an emergency department or an inpatient setting within 30 days, the hospital doesn't get paid. So it's it's, it's our uh, incentive to try to keep those patients healthy and at home. We found that children with asthma, in many cases, were going home to locations without air conditioning and ending up bouncing back to the hospital because of the their, uh, the environment in which they were, were sent. So we, at our expense, began to acquire, purchase room air conditioners for many of these kids so they could go home and lead a healthier life. It's better for the patient. It's, it's, it reduces the total cost of care in the state of Maryland. And frankly, it's uh, the right thing to do. Another example of this is a patient that had bounced back to the hospital about 100 times in a year. Incredible number of admissions. Um, this was a woman who was a, a fragile diabetic, and uh, at our expense, we sent someone to her home and found that uh, she didn't have a working stove, uh, she didn't know the basics of nutrition, single mom, four kids, so we, at our expense, purchased a stove, we filled her refrigerator with healthy food, we gave her three nutrition classes, and we now do weekly visits to her home, and she has not come back to the hospital even once since we began that process. Each of these, unfortunately, is really hand-to-hand combat. There is no one-size-fits-all in an effort to prevent uh, these patients from returning to the hospital or really providing the right kind of care. Um, Every community has its own unique issues, and uh, every community needs to identify the best approach to uh, have a positive impact on the care of those patients. Neil, one of the things that you've done really well as LifeBridge is as you've indicated, to see the bigger picture, to understand the patient from being healthy, going through something that requires medical attention, to getting them back to healthy again. And the thing that we're seeing on the national stage is how can we afford to deliver this type of quality of care and do it in a way where we're fiscally responsible? What lessons have you learned that can allow others to maybe say, hey, this can be done? I I think one of the things we've we've learned is that you've got to, first of all, uh, set the culture and and, uh, make this a priority. And as we began to look at healthcare generally, um, we found that in order for us to really be true to our mission and our organization, we needed to provide the services that patients required. And we know from studies, we know from experience that providing good, high-quality care in the long term is less expensive 
than just fixing an immediate problem. Um, we also recognize that we can't do this alone, that in an effort to, to really make this work and make this cost effective, you do need community partnerships. And we've, we've recognized that there's a, a wealth of knowledge and quite a number of services available in the community, but they just weren't being coordinated. And through the better coordination of care and the focus really on creating a, a, a model that allows patients to remain in the community at home, we have found that through the appropriate relationships with community-based services, um, we can become the, the central core for coordinating care but tap resources available in the community that uh, are readily available and are being funded by others to provide the kind of services those, those patients require, keeping them out of the hospital, keeping the total cost of care down. At this point in our evolution, roughly 58% of our revenue is coming from non-hospital-based services. 42% uh, of our revenue is coming from within the four walls of the hospital. And we think that's a good thing um, for two reasons. One, the hospital rates are regulated and essentially capped in the state of Maryland. Two, there is unlimited potential out in the community. And by providing services to the community, we really become partners with folks residing in our local communities. And as such, it's a, a form of, of marketing and public relations. One of the things, of course, that we're going to be seeing in healthcare is as the baby boomers age, we're going to need to continue to provide quality health care and keeping our elderly citizens out of the hospital and healthy. And one of the things that you've done well, I think, and I'll ask you to use as an example, is the coordination of things like Levendale your geriatric center and hospital, and how you've coordinated care amongst rehab and in the senior community to do all of these types of things that you've been talking about. Use that as an example for us and maybe give us some of the thoughts of where LifeBridge is going there. Sure. In terms of the coordination of care, one of the things that we found is by owning many of the aspects of the continuum of care, we can utilize each of our sites in a way that really maximizes the uh, benefit to the patient, but also maximizes our ability to reduce the total cost of care. As an example, there are patients that are in any of our three acute care hospitals that require long-term care. Uh, typically, some of these patients would not be acceptable to or accepted at other long-term care facilities. But by virtue of the fact that we own these facilities, we can move patients between sites, whether they be rehab sites or just post-acute sites in general, within our healthcare system, um, allowing us to increase bed capacity at the hospital, providing the appropriate level of treatment at the long-term care facilities, and worry less about the reimbursement issues surrounding it. We also own our own home care program. So a number of these patients are followed from the hospital to the long-term care to home care. One of the unique things we did create was a company called Post-Acute Physician Partners. And we did this in an effort to try to improve the, con the continuum of clinical care between the hospital, the nursing homes, and home care. And these are physicians that 
are very familiar with our hospitals. In fact, we're born really from our hospitals that now work in our own long-term care facilities and home care, as well as other long-term care facilities in the community. So before a patient is discharged from the hospital, there is a strong communication link to these physicians in the long-term care facilities. And before a patient is discharged from the nursing home to home care or even to the home, there is good, strong communication. Now, it's not infrequent where patients in a nursing home may uh, develop some clinical difficulties and require readmission to a hospital. Before that occurs, our intensivists across the health system talk with the post-acute physician partners to see if they can address the clinical issue at the long-term care facilities, and we've seen a significant reduction in readmissions to the hospital from nursing homes as a result of this partnership. We've also created a quality uh, forum among our uh, local long-term care facilities that aren't owned by LifeBridge Health, um, but what we've done is begin to share best practices in an effort to both improve the quality at each of these sites and reduce the readmissions uh, to, to our nursing homes. And as a result, everyone benefits. The community benefits, these competitive long-term care facilities benefit, and most importantly, it's the patient who benefits by achieving uh, a much higher level of, of uh, rate of return to home than would ordinarily be achieved. The other thing we've done from a continuum standpoint is really develop a series of wraparound services. We recognize that a number of patients, even when they do go home, don't go home fully healthy. So we've created something called a LifeLink, which is a call center which allows patients to communicate with nurses if they're having issues. We've got diabetes outreach programs, congestive heart failure programs that are provided in the home. We're using remote monitoring devices to track patient health from the home to try to prevent a readmission by identifying when something uh, a negative clinical outcome is occurring. Um, we have uh, certification application counselors for folks that are um, struggling financially to try to get them uh, insured through some of the government uh, networks. We've created a faith-based network with Muslim, Christian, and Jewish organizations in our community uh, and connect patients upon admission with other members of their congregations that assist them in the transition to and from the hospital. We've also developed a seniors housing upgrade program, which is funded through a foundation which allows us to go into seniors' homes and make them a healthier and safer place for them to live. And these are just some of the examples of the wraparound services that we've created and are continuing to create. Neil, it's, it's, this is a great segue to the next area that I'd like to take you. And sure. Approximately 15, 16 months ago, you announced the acquisition of another hospital where you've reached deeper into the community where you had some interaction to a hospital that has served its community well for a long time. But all of these additional benefits that you've been discussing, you can now bring to the community in Carroll County, Maryland. Can you talk a little bit about some of the accomplishments that you've probably already made in just a year and a half, having done the deal with Carroll Hospital Center? Absolutely. We're, we're very excited to be selected by Carroll Hospital to be their partner, and we think it was a, an, an absolute uh, uh, right choice from a number of standpoints. Um, a, I think the communities that we were that 
they were serving and that uh, we continued to serve overlapped to a large extent. We had some medical staff overlap. Uh, and culturally, I think both organizations were very community-focused. Um, our, our, uh, our purpose statement is caring for our communities together, and it absolutely resonated, I think, with members of uh, their medical staff board and hospital leadership. So that I think it was a, a, a terrific thing overall. But as we take a look at what we've been able to accomplish, um, we realize that uh, in addition to just financial improvement through the uh, uh, consolidation of certain uh, core back-of-the-house services, we've been able to provide some expertise in clinical areas that they had been uh, purchasing from other organizations just due to their, uh, their, their location and their inability to uh, uh, recruit someone because insufficient number of cases to be able to afford a, a specialist. I think as we took a look at Carroll Hospital, um, they had already created something called Vision 2020, which was really their strategic plan for the next five years. And we realized that much of what they set out to do, um, although appropriate, may have been a little more expensive than um, was necessary based on their freestanding uh, situation at the time. What we've been able to do is bring a significant amount of cost savings to the organization through the consolidation of certain, uh, of certain key services. Additionally, we've been able to bring a level of clinical expertise that either didn't exist before or that they were purchasing from other organizations. Uh, that's not uncommon for community hospitals given their relative size and the demand for certain key services. Um, so we're, we're, we were pleased to see the kind of integration of our medical staff that uh, um, would take many other organizations decades to achieve that we've been able to achieve in about a year and a half. Um, I also know that um, we've been able to work with them to improve fundraising. Um, we have brought in additional dollars from other funding sources, uh, and I know they were just able to achieve a grant from the state of Maryland the first time in well over a decade. So we're excited about uh, the future, and there's a lot of pride in the past in that organization, but the potential there is enormous. And I think from both sides, it's just been a win-win situation. Look back over the last six years, you've been transformative operationally, you've been transformative clinically, you've grown, you keep investing in the community, et cetera. What are some of the greatest lessons that you as a leader of people have that you've learned because of the regulatory change in the Affordable Care Act? Well, I think the first thing that, that comes to mind is that healthcare is local. No matter what happens, no matter where you are in the country, and I'm, I'm not a Maryland native, I did not grow up here, this isn't uh, where I cut my teeth on healthcare. But the one thing I've learned everywhere I've been is that healthcare is local, and no matter what you do, folks relate to their local organization. I think number two, that there is no substitute for high quality, uh, cost effective services and a good, dedicated, energized staff. Um, without either of those, uh, you, you can't possibly move an organization forward, whether it's a healthcare organization or any other kind of organization. I think employee and physician engagement is key. Um, the other thing, I think, is alignment of incentives. Um, one of the things which was clear and is clear in the state of Maryland is that there's still a misalignment of incentives. But through 
um, creative approaches in partnering with physicians and partnering with other organizations, you can begin to align incentives and achieve the kind of outcomes that we are achieving at LifeBridge Health. And I'm proud of what we've been able to do. Um, I think there are still opportunities that are untapped both within LifeBridge and within the state. And I hope to see uh, us begin to move forward with more creative approaches to, to uh, 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 pilot certain reimbursement models at the, uh, at the state and federal level. Um, the other few things I think about is that, you know, unless you continue to grow, you really end up fading away. The market is moving so fast and healthcare is changing in so many ways. It's not unlike some of the disruptive forces that you see at other industries. Um, our focus right now is on, on population health and really getting outside the four walls of the hospital. Um, we're, we're, we're challenging folks not to be afraid to think differently. But I think it is a challenge, too, because in some ways it, it, it's like building the airplane while you're flying it. Um, we still have uh, uh, board members and physicians and staff that are having trouble wrapping their head around the, the changes in healthcare, And uh, it, it's very difficult to go from a mindset of uh, uh, volume is everything to, to really value becoming sort of the driving force. Um, but we are finding that when you begin to focus everyone in the same direction, um, you can achieve some pretty great things. You know, so, some of the challenges on the horizon for us, I think, are precision medicine uh, and recognizing that um, uh, personalized care is going to be very different in the future than it is today. That, you know, in, in, in some ways, um, the way we've been treated to this point in time, we may look back on and thinking it, it, it's rather barbaric when um, medicine will be truly based on your genetics and your epigenetics going forward. Um, I think technology, just technology generally, is going to be a, a driving change. We're piloting right now the use of technology and telemedicine for behavioral health, and we're treating patients uh, in one county uh, by physicians sitting at their desk in another county. Um, this is just the beginning. I mean, folks don't want to wait for the latest and greatest device on Amazon or the, or, or the most recent movie. It, it's sort of just-in-time medicine and providing care uh, when you want it, where you want it. Um, so I think those are some of the, the, the driving forces which we will be dealing with. A lot of folks are, uh, there are wearables out there now. You may, in fact, be wearing on your wrist right now a device that monitors your activity level. I think those are going to become more common. Um, genomic labs, telemedicine, hybrid operating rooms, globalization, all changes, all exciting changes, but all changes uh, that we're going to have to be dealing with in the future. If you were to, I'm going to ask you a question as we wrap up our, our thinking today. As a healthcare leader, let's think out three to five years, and boy, we don't know three to five minutes from now, but three to five <laughs> years. What do you think will be the most transformative difference in our healthcare delivery system that we don't do today? I think it's going to be two things. I think one, it, it will be personalized care or precision medicine, making sure that whatever drug is being given to a patient works with their genetic makeup. Um, number two, um, I think that we are moving towards a nationalized insurance system of some sort or another. And I, I believe the Affordable Care Act was a first step towards that. And I do think we're going to see more folks having access to care 
but may be having access to care in a different way, either through their smartphone or some other device. And I, I really think those two things will be game changers for us as an industry. Neil, I can't thank you enough for having joined us today and for the leadership that you've shown here in the Baltimore, Maryland community and would encourage everybody to continue to get smart on where healthcare is going because if you're not staying on top of it, it's going to pass you by. And LifeBridge has certainly shown the community that you're a leader and under your leadership, Neil, we've been very thankful. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Chris. Have a good day. You too.